I want to want to backtrack just a little bit and look at a portion that we had already covered when we talked about Lot's two daughters that were were uh, presumably virgins, according to what Lot thought, and and so he he says that, that remember there were there were some wicked men that had surrounded his home, and these wicked men wanted to have. Interestingly enough, they, 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 were, they were trying to, it says, have relations with two men that were angels that were visiting Lot. And, uh, um, and this, this relations is, is actually a homosexual sex with these two men. It's, it's just wild what's going on here. But remember, this is Sodom we're talking about. And um, uh, this is the real Sodom that we're talking about. And, and uh, it says in, in verse... 6 of, of Genesis chapter 19, verse 6. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to the door, to, uh, near to breaking the door. So Lot offers up his two daughters who in his mind are presumably virgin daughters. And he says, take them, just don't hurt the men in my home, which is a very strange thing to say. And you wonder how far Lot, though he be a righteous man, would have come to offer up his two daughters to be gang raped to protect two men in his home. But you see the disrespect that he had for his daughters. And now we're going to see something turn around. Now we're, we're, we have already covered all of this portion up to, to verse 30 of, of Genesis chapter 19. So now let's look at verse 30. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. So remember, the, the angels wanted him to go to the mountains. And back in, in, in further up in 19 of Genesis chapter 19, he says, no, no, I'm, I'm afraid to go to the mountains. Let me go to that little town, that little town. And that's how it got the name Zoar. Zoar meaning little. God was going to destroy five cities in that region of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and three other cities. But he decided to save Zoar just to protect Lot. So Lot went into that city. And in that, ci that city wasn't destroyed, but everything else in the valley was destroyed. Now, all of a sudden, he's afraid to stay in that city, and we can, we can gather why that might be, because great problems have occurred because of Lot. There was a, there was a, uh, and uh, they look at him like, wow, you're the only person saved out of this. And so, it was kind of strange for them. Plus, there was all the vegetation around those cities were destroyed. It was a highly productive place. We had read all of those verses, but now everything is desolate. And so there's going to be a food shortage. So he's afraid to stay there. So he flees up to the mountains where God had originally wanted him. Actually, where God wants us is the best place to be. And when we go and we try to say, well, this place isn't that bad. We're always settling for something less. 
But now let's look particularly at the topic at hand. Verse 31 of Genesis chapter 19. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with our father, with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The first bore him a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called him his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. This is really an amazing chapter. And uh, um, it's not something that you hear much about even in our world today. But again, we're dealing with Sodom. Obviously, you could take these two women out of Sodom, but Sodom was not taken out of these two women. The firstborn says to the younger, so they're in this cave with their father. The mother has perished. All their brothers and sisters have perished. It's just these two daughters, which he presumed were virgin daughters. Now, again, it says they, it said further up in, 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 in chapter 19, it says, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. So you say, well, the Bible says they have not had relations. No, there was not a prophet saying it. It is not God saying it. A man said, my daughters have not had relations with men. So we know what he thought. Or we know what he said. There are many instances in the Bible where you can see a person saying something and it's not a godly word at all. It's not a true word at all. It's just what they said. The Bible is just reporting what they said. And uh, um, so, so he had presumed that they were virgin daughters. I'm sure there's many times that fathers presume that their daughter is a virgin and their daughter is not a virgin. Sure, there's many examples of that. Because something doesn't add up here. If these are really virgin daughters, there's something here that just doesn't add up. Virgin daughters wouldn't normally think like this. They wouldn't normally think like this. Remember, they, this was probably in a day before sex education came into schools. And so, this is a very detailed plan. So they say... The firstborn said to the younger, so the instigator of this is the older of the two daughters. Now these are her, 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 the younger of his, the youngest of, of all his children, but these are the only surviving ones. And he says, our, they say, our father is old. Our father is old. Well, he's obviously not too old to get them pregnant. All right? 
So they're saying our father is old. But this is a common misconception in young people. My parents are too old to understand this. They're too old to understand what you know about sex? Is that what you think? You you see how we rationalize things that make absolutely no sense when it comes to this sort of thing. Whatever you have been through, your parents have already been through, and that's how you got here. All right? So they know about this stuff. And they know about the temptations that go through people. All the temptations that you have, they have had. So they know about this stuff. But when it comes to the sexual realm, there's this feeling among young people, my parents are too old to understand this. No, they understand it very well. They actually understand it better than you do. And they understand the ramifications of doing the things that you plan on doing. They understand it very well. Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of the earth. There's not a man on earth. You just left Zoar. Zoar, there were a bunch of men in Zoar. All of Abraham, your, your, your great uncle Abraham, he has a clan of several thousand. There's plenty of men, and that's only like 50 miles away. So it's only a few days walk for you to get there. And it's not like us, a few days walk, that's too hard. No, when we say we drive 50 miles, we don't say, oh, that's so hard. For them, walking 50 miles was the same way. That's all they did. So, so 50 miles wasn't a big walk for them. It's a few days' walk. And so they build this whole thing up in their mind that there's not a man on earth. And I've seen women do this. It, look, if I don't yield to this guy, I'm never going to get another one. Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know you never, is there not another man on earth that might show interest in you? But that's what we build up in our minds when it comes to the sexual realm. And let me show you what doesn't add up here if they had really been virgins. Let, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. That we may preserve our family. So you see, they're justifying this. There's a reason for this, a higher reason why I have to go and do this. This is a common pattern when we want to walk in a sexual realm that we know we shouldn't be walking in. We couch it in some grander terms that I just have to do this. And they say, let us get him drunk with wine. Well, how do they know as virgins, that if he's so drunk with wine that he's not even going to recognize them, that he'd still be able to perform. How do they know? How do they know? Unless they've been in Sodom with men that are drunk out of their mind, that don't even know what they're doing, and are still able to perform sexually. A virgin does not know this. In fact, virgin women are very often... It's, it's, it's with great apprehension that they go into something like this. Because just, just all the dynamics that are going on. And let me say to you, young men, when you enter into marriage, when you enter into marriage, you are to respect your wife and, and, and not just say, well, we're married now, I'll do whatever I want. And just all of a sudden become Rambo. You move very gently. And she will always remember 
the gentleness. It's not something that sometimes people are able to even even act upon. That, 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 you know, right away on this first night. And, you know, I don't want to go into a lot of details here. Already the details are probably, I can see they're bothering somebody. So, um, I have a, a series on my website called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. It is a six-part series. You can listen to that in the privacy of your own home. You just put in the ear pods and nobody's even going to know what you're listening to. All right, it's a six-part series. You listen from part one through part six. And why do I address this? Because it is the biggest struggle among young people. What do you want me to address? You want me to address that has not something that has nothing to do with you or your life? Or should I address the things that have to do with you and that the Bible is addressing? The Bible is addressing this. That's why I address it. Fear the day that I stop addressing what the Bible addresses. Fear that day. This is why I address it. Because this is the biggest struggle among young people. Is in this realm. And this is why it's addressed. And this is why the Bible addresses it here. How would virgin girls know how to do this? And then it says they they got him drunk. The older one goes and she sleeps with him. And then she, she says to the younger, now, now, I did it with, with our father last night. Uh, you go do it with him tomorrow night. If they were virgins, how would they know to wait a day? What she's done, why not just bring in the next one? How do virgins know this that are totally innocent? How do they know? They don't know this. They don't know that, you know, he, he, he just, would just impregnate one and then just go on to the other and the other and the other. How do they know? They don't know if they're virgins. You see how this just doesn't add up? That these are virgin daughters? This is not how virgins think. But let's let's circle this back to us. This whole thing about the excuses that they put upon this. We have to do this for the preservation of our family. They say this twice in verse 32, that we may preserve our family, that we may preserve our family. They say it again in verse 34, the end of verse 34, that we may preserve our family. They are putting it in terms as if they're doing something noble. This happens. This happens in the sexual realm. So, for example, a guy said, I I had to take my girlfriend out of this bad situation in, in her home with her family, with her parents. She was in a bad situation. Oh, you took her out of a bad situation and conveniently she's moved in the apartment with you. Oh, how convenient. You took her out of that bad situation. You see how he was taking something so that he could start living with this girl and he's doing something noble, taking her out of the bad situation of her own home and she's conveniently moving in with him. How convenient that is. I had a, uh, there was a, a, a Christian couple and they were going to move into an apartment together to save money. I said, this doesn't look good at all. The Bible says you are to be free of even the appearance of evil. He said, no, no, we have separate rooms. I said, oh, really? How long do you think that's going to last? You're in an apartment together and you have separate rooms? How about you get separate apartments so there's a wall between you two? How about doing that? 
You see how we justify in our own mind that all of this stuff is okay. Here's a common one. We're eventually going to get married, so what's the difference? What's the difference? We're eventually getting married. We're en route to marriage. Well, first of all, you don't know that you're going to end up getting married. Lots of people think that they're going to get married and they end up not getting married. And plus, what happens is, when we break moral standards before marriage, they are much easier to break within marriage. Much easier. If you lower moral standards before marriage, it's much easier to break them in marriage. God has a defined way. God has a way that he has outlined for us. Some people will say, well, what does a piece of paper, what does a marriage certificate have to do with this? has everything to do with this. It has everything to do because God says in one case it is wrong, in another case it is not wrong. Because when we lower moral standards before marriage, they're lowered within marriage. And you know the other person to have lowered moral standards. And, and so it, it, it ends up being a very difficult situation. Sometimes they'll, they'll uh, uh, brazenly say, well, we're sexually attracted. Okay. I'm like sexually attracted to every woman that I meet. What does that mean? But people will brazenly say this like somehow this justifies it. We are supposed to, to control these passions in the sense that we just read this in, in, in the service there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. There are fleshly lusts which wage war against us. This is why I address it. This is why I'm so specific with young people. You can go some other place and they'll be non-specific. But if you want to see what the Word of God says, let's look at it. It's very specific. I mean, who, who writes like this? But God. Who lets us see what was going on in these girls' minds? Who would do something like this? And to somehow justify it. And they're justifying this sort of thing. I had one young lady tell me, well, you know, I have, I have friends that are sexually active and they're nice people because she was drawn into this. I said, yeah, they're great people, but it's wrong. It's wrong. I know what happens to men when they travel in other countries away from home. I had one young man who, who was in this class who, who went to work for a big oil company. And he spent six months, this was before he was married, traveling around the world with that oil company. And he would write to me, and he would tell me, he says, I, I can't believe what's going on here. So many of these men that I'm traveling with are married men, and they're sleeping around when they get in these other countries. So when somebody says, well, you know, I, when a young lady says, well, I really, I really had to do this because he was just so sexually active, I, I just had to give this to him. Well, why would you want to be married to somebody like that? Why would you want to be married to somebody that when he's not around you for a couple of days, he's got to go shack up with somebody else? 
This is real stuff. You know, what I'm telling you is real stuff. This really happens. This is the real stuff that happens in life, happens in marriages, happens in Christian marriages, and it destroys homes and it destroys families. Better you hear it here than going into a marriage without hearing about it. This is why you don't want to be married to somebody who says, I just can't control it. When I'm around you, I just, I just have to have sex. Well, I don't want to be married to somebody like that because there's going to come a day when I'm sick, when I'm ill, when I'm not able to do this with you. Then what are you going to do? What happens if I'm sick and in the hospital? What happens if you're traveling overseas? Or I'm traveling overseas and you're here at home without me? Then what's, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen then? This is why we need to deal with these things. This is why you want to be careful who you marry. You want to be careful what you do before marriage. Some people really feel that if I don't sleep with this guy, I'll lose him. I'll lose him. If I don't sleep with him, I'll lose him. Well, why would you want to be married to somebody like that? Why would you? Why would you want to be married to somebody like that? I don't, I've never met a young person that did not have sexual struggles. Maybe, maybe you are the one, all right? I've just never had a heart-to-heart talk with somebody that didn't have sexual struggles. Maybe it's just the struggling ones that come and talk to me. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe everyone who hasn't talked to me is not struggling. But I presume that, that everybody struggles in this, in this realm. If you go to that section on scriptural sexual ethics on my website, and remember, it's part one to part six. It's like 30 minutes per, and you just listen to it. And you've got to start with part one. Because if you start at part six, you're going to say, this guy is even crazier than I thought. <clears throat> All right? So you've got to start with part one, so at least I ease you into the craziness. All right? But what it does is it, it will begin to instruct you in the proper way, in the godly way. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What happens with the struggles with pornography? Young men, I have been there. I don't judge you. I don't judge you at all. I'm not judging anybody. I've had all my own struggles. And I expose those in that teaching of scriptural sexual ethics. I expose those to such an extent that my own wife, who's not here right now, so just keep this between us. It'll go up on the internet, but she doesn't listen to the messages, so she doesn't know what I say. But to the extent she was like, why, why do you tell everybody this? Why are you telling people what you've been through? And I say, because I get so much feedback from people sending me emails, telling me, I was so glad to hear that you struggle with the same things that I did, that I do, and that you've gotten to where you are in life, what God was able to do through you, that you had the same struggles, that you could identify with this. This is why I open up to you. This is why I talk about it. Because I care about you. I care about your marriages. I care about your future marriages. I care about you. If you end up marrying the wrong person and the pain that that's going to cause you. I've seen so many marriages end up in pain. And and people thought, well, you know, we're different. We really love each other. I have never met anybody get married that didn't love each other. I've never met anybody. Maybe it happens. Maybe somebody wants to get their parents upset, so they go, I've heard about things, but I've never met anybody like that. Everybody that I've ever met 
has said that they love each other when they get married. So if you use that as a justification that that's going to cause your marriage to last, surprise, doesn't work. There are standards that have to be met. You say, well, maybe I'm already active in a sexual relationship. What do I do now? You start walking with God from this day forward. You make the decision with that other person, I'm walking with God. If they will not stay with you as a result of your desiring to walk with God, you don't want to be married to them. That's the way that works. You say, well, if I lose this guy, there's not another man on earth. No, there's somebody better for you. Go ahead, ask your parents. They wouldn't understand. No, your parents are not too old. They understand. Tell me what they say about this. There are standards you want to keep, and you work at this. If you're in a sexual relationship, you break out of it until you are married. I've had uh, a, a guy call me, and he says, I, I, just, I just can't do without getting, having this sex, and now you've talked to this, this, this girlfriend of mine, and, and, and I'm not getting sex with her anymore. What do I do? I say, you're a Christian? He says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just got to have this sex. I said, you know, a lot of people call me, and they talk to me, and they tell me all about the struggles they're having on the mission field, about the, the persecution they're getting on the mission field. Young guys, the, the, the things that are happening to them. You're going to have to learn to walk in this, my friend. You're going to have to learn to walk in this. What are you going to do when this girl, you're in marriage, and she's pregnant to the point where she can't do this for you for a couple of months? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when you're traveling? You better get, get control over this now. There are things you begin to deal with, and you don't want to be married to a man or to a woman that does not know how to control this. What I'm telling you is nothing that the Bible doesn't tell you. It tells you right here. It says, Beloved, beloved, I love you. I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. They wage war against the soul. And I'm not judging anyone. If you be in Christ, there is tremendous hope. If you be in Christ, God has hope for you. This is said in Romans 8, verse 33 and 34. There's hope for you. I'm not judging anybody. Salvation is not a sham. And this is what I teach in that scriptural sexual ethics. When you start walking according to the ways of God, you start walking in victory. Because salvation in Christ is not a sham. We have a power in Jesus Christ that is able to deliver us. Without Jesus, there is no way you will succumb to these things every time without Jesus. Only in Christ can you walk in the, these things. It says in Romans 8.33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. I'm not bringing a charge against you. Who can bring a charge against you? If you be in Christ, He has already justified you. The Bible says He justifies the ungodly. That you are caught in this, that you struggle with this, makes you qualified. Because He says He justifies the ungodly. He never says He justifies the godly. He justifies the ungodly. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? I don't condemn you. 
Christ Jesus is he who died, yet he who was raised. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have amazing power in his resurrection. Because Jesus Christ has died and risen from the dead. When you have taken hold of the resurrection and say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from the dead, there is enormous power in that. And from this day, you can make a decision to start walking right. You know, some, some Christians don't walk right in this only because they've never been taught. This is the first time they're hearing about this. As believers, this is the first time they're hearing. You can't teach a, a, a person how to, you can't teach your kid how to play the violin without giving them violin lessons. You've got to teach them. So sometimes this is the first time they've already, they've heard it. I'm not judging anybody. What I'm saying is learn to tap into Christ. And it's not easy. This is why I got the whole series. It took me over a hundred hours to prepare those six messages on scriptural sexual ethics. Spent an entire summer working on that. It's a little bit dated now. It was, it's more than 15 years old, but it'll still work. All right? You go through that because I care about you. It says Jesus sits at the right hand of God. It says Jesus who, who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. That means Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is seated at the right hand of His Father, praying for you. He intercedes for us, the Bible says. Jesus is praying for you. Salvation is not a sham. There is victory in Christ. You want to have a healthy marriage? Learn to walk in this. If you want to have an unhealthy marriage, go ahead. Do it your way. Do it your way. You want to have a healthy marriage. You walk in this. I am not sinless. No way. I'm not judging anybody else. I'm just saying you want to have a healthy marriage. You walk in this. You walk in this. You want to have healthy children. You walk in this. There was a lot going on in these two girls' lives that their righteous father Lot didn't know about. There is no way virgin girls are going to do to their father and know how to do to their father what these two girls did. And what is the result of that? The result of that is two people were born. One was, one was named, was, was named Ben-Ami. Uh, I'm sorry, one was named Moab and the other was named Ben-Ami. And these are the sons of, these are called the sons of Ammon. In fact, Moab, the, the, the firstborn is called Moab. Moab means the son of my father. That's what Moab means. The next one, Ben-Ami, means the son of a near kinsman. They are the Ammonites to this day. They have been at war with Israel to this day. You want war in your family? You want war in your home? Go ahead. Have it your way. Have it your way. This is what the Bible warns us about. You say, well, how do you know what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't, I'm old. You guys know. What do I know? I'm old. All right? You guys know better. You know better than the Word of God. You know better than God because, you know, you're woke. You know? You got it. This is, this is what the Bible says. This is what it says. Plus, I have a lot more data points than you do. I went to college at the age of 18 and I've never left. 
I've been around young people for over 40 years. And I have lots of data points. And I've seen the way people live. And I see a decade later what's happening in their lives. Two decades later, what's happening in their lives. I've seen it with people very close to me. What happens in their lives when they go against this word. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for the truth of it. And I thank you, Lord, that you just are so vivid with us about the results of sin. You are vivid with us about the things that that wear upon the life of people. Father, thank you for your word. Of all the things to be written about, you chose to have this recorded. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray for these precious young people that they would not stand in pride thinking that this could not happen to them. But, Father, they take heed to your word. Father, have mercy upon them, I pray. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon them. Father, I pray for the ones here that are already in sexual relationships and already active sexually in an unmarried unmarried relationships. Father, I pray that you give them victory to walk in Christ because salvation is not a sham. And from this day forward, they would commit themselves and pray this very day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and give me power over sin. Give me power. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers here who are caught in this and have no way to get out. Father, I pray that they'd come to Jesus this day and to say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. Father, your mercies be on these young people, I pray. Your mercies. In the name of Jesus, I offer this to you and these precious lives. In Jesus' name, amen.